Hello, and welcome to Third Culture Block, a podcast where we talk about our experiences that have led us to art and who we are today. This is Ahmed Mustafa, Wissal Jibril, and Mohammed Ismail. We'll be starting a new series on the show based off of interest expressed by some of our listeners. Specifically, we'll be talking about projects we're working on and the technical struggles that we overcome. To start us off, Wissal will walk us through one of the projects she's working on and the experimentation therein. I've heard someone do this prank, quote-unquote, and it's the worst thing. If you hate someone, you do this. Um, you take a, an ice tray, uh, not an ice tray, you take like, um, like a, like a cookie, cookie sheet, like mm-hmm. one of those like sheets, and uh, you, um, you pour pee into it, <gasps> you freeze the pee, and then you can just slide that sheet of frozen pee underneath the person's door. And so when it goes under the door... It'll be on their side, and then it'll melt and soak into their carpet. Oh, my God. That way you don't need to, like, there can be sleeping, and you can just, like, slide it in, and, you know, you've peed in the room without having to actually do it. That is so bad. I have heard this performed. I have never heard of that. Wild. It's wild the things people come up with for the sake of, haha, that's funny. It's not, that's really not funny. That is also low-key kind of clever. It is so clever. It's high-key clever. It's clever, but but it's also just like, why? Uh, Under what, like, evil geniuses. This is, this is borderline psychopath. No, we once, um, we got TP'd once. Oh. And um, we also got... Um, we had our house egged one time? No, no. It was TPD. And then they put bubble wrap outside the door. So when you step outside, it's like... Tuck, 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 tuck. And I remember Oasis was just such a freaking creep. Um, he opened the door and he was like half asleep. And this like happened like in the middle of the night. And he just like opened the door and like ran out. And then it just all started popping under his feet. And then it just like... He just did that like... Like waking up to loud noises dance mm-hmm. yeah it was great and my dad called the cops and the cops were like what do you want us to do and my dad's like they're like this is just probably like a kid's prank like maybe my, look um, into like your children and then my dad was like well i just want you to know that you have these delinquents running around so, doing this to your community so do better we live in like a, a gated community you loaded da look at me Keep out, keep out, we keep out the river. We do, we do. But this, we got, <laughs> we got our house egged in the in this neighborhood, and so like the, ha, the egg, rich boy, <laughs> that's what you get. The the eggs hit, and like within the minute, my dad is like halfway down the street, jellabia like in one oh hand, bat in the other hand, chasing whatever <laughs> car that oh just god. egged our house, oh and god. he just like drops the bat, calls the front gate, and they get, get, get caught at the front gate oh, wow. when they're leaving, but like, I've never seen my dad move so fast, like sabat and kulla, like he had like his little ship ship, he had the he had jellabia like you have to pull up the jellabia if you want some if speed, want, right? Yeah. So jellabia in one hand, like and there's like a he said it's a big wooden bat that he uses. And it's called a Louisiana slugger. And he just says it in the other hand. He's like, he's just looking to destroy where it is. Oh, it's so funny, so good. I wish you would. I wish you would do that. Do it again. I swear, do it again. Um, do you guys know how to get rid of TP in a tree? Uh, toilet paper. No. No, I have no idea. 
you um you so you either one wait for the rain to eventually like wash mm-hmm. it all out or um because like ours it take was your smallest beautiful. child to climb no, the tree it was beautiful it was actually quite beautiful we had a weeping willow in the front i i like ahmed's idea magical hey 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 it's but it's nature it on fire. okay it's the way it's meant to be you light the toilet paper one at a time and then it'll just burn all the way up into and the tree and, yeah, and the, the tree is, no no the tree is green so it doesn't catch fire like it's like it's like um, it's we have very Do blue wet trees catch on fire. No, like, it's very wet in Georgia, so uh, it's not like there's no like dry leaves or anything. Yeah, so it doesn't. That doesn't um, work here. But you only do one out of oh yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah, work it doesn't here. work here. Uh uh-uh. <laughs> Next thing you know, the entire California state of is always on fire. On fire. Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. But yeah, that's how you do it in Georgia, <laughs> not in California. Um. There is um actually so I went to an all boys school but uh, Nadine went to an all girls school and so at their school um the seniors in their school they had like a couple levels of senior prank one of which was um I don't know if you guys are aware of this but cows are able to go upstairs but not downstairs I didn't know that yeah um, so because they get scared going downstairs oh. so one of the girls is that what it is I thought it was the the movement of the the, the legs they were it's limited maybe it's probably that too but basically like <laughs> that sounds more accurate either way I mean like you're a cow you're looking you can go up Mr. Cow you're going down that's scary I thought it was science no I'm pretty sure it's just the emotion you the think cow. about you wear socks going downstairs you're afraid downstairs you're not afraid upstairs <laughs> i'm afraid both ways i fall either way well you fr- you're afraid of the flatland okay so that's different i am afraid of flatland Continue. so the cow's on the third floor of this building and it's not going down and so they had to get like a forklift to you know sedate and then like guide this cow out no. of the building yeah because one of the girls had like a like a farm or something and then the other one that's kind of genius that's more on the line with what we're talking about is like you take the toilets you lift the seat and then you put saran wrap under the the seat part mm. so when you sit down God. instead of going into no. the bowl it just sits oh. there it just sits wow. underneath you yeah and now imagine it's an all-girls school so everyone's sitting down oh and so God. it's just like everyone's having a bad time oh, it's no. just a bad time i didn't know about that. that's a good one that's it's it's actually awful we had it's, like i've seen before the, the the ketchup where you just put the ketchup packets what you put oh the on the seat underneath the seat oh thingy, and, and then, then it explodes just goes, when you sit as you sit down that's no. awful yeah, and there's also there was like a his like not it wasn't in my my generation, but my school uh, in the past they had like three sheep, um, get like loosed onto campus, and they were just running around campus, and they had to uh, each sheep had a number on it, so one, two, and four, and so they had the they closed the what school. What was three? They closed the school trying to get all What the happened sheep. to three, Ahmed? And then they spent the rest of... What the, happened to three, Ahmed? There, they, they, there was no three. They just basically had all the staff looking for three for like a, like a couple days. <laughs> because three wasn't there. And so that's like the historical oh prank in our school. Yeah, so you had one, two, and four, and then three was just like what <laughs> kept us out of school for the next couple days. Uh, it's genius, absolutely. Maniacal, just actually crazy. And then there's the bad ones. There's the bad pranks. There's a guy, um, he was uh, passing out brownies at school. Oh. Turns out he had just like pumped them full of like 
extreme laxatives and a couple of people had to go to the hospital and get their stomach pumped and like it wasn't it was not the funny kind of prank it was like the oh people are hospitalized kind of prank did they catch who it was yeah no they did they did i think it was the knife guy there's a guy who just like the knife guy yeah i had a lot of interesting characters i'm thinking about it now like there's one kid who was at our school and, like, in the theater program, and then he went to another theater school um, because he loved theater so much, but he wasn't, like, their greatest. And then he got kicked out of the other school because um, he just had a trunk full of machetes. Um, and then, yeah, and so that th- there's another guy. He was at our school, and he just, like, all, he tried to sell knives. I don't know, like, the... the because it was a cool thing to have a knife and so he just had like a he's like wanna buy a knife and he just opens up his hoodie and just like shows <laughs> it. it's uh weird weird times um truly what an interesting school you went to yeah no i mean it was an all boys catholic school so like you know we had a lot of we had a lot of um you know people exploring their faith and their values on a, on a daily basis and that you know you have to test the boundaries i guess some people do that I killed a cockroach one time. That was cool. <laughs> it, I, it sticks with me like to this day because I remember I was leaving algebra class and I was going to morality, my next class. And I like leave. I had just gotten like a 90 something on a test. I was feeling high. I was like singing to myself. I was kind of dancing down the hall. And I'm on my way to morality. And across the like, in the hallway, a little cockroach starts, like, scurrying across the hallway. And without missing a beat, I do one of my high kicks and just axe kick this cockroach. It's, like, butt hits one wall, the head hits the other wall. I just, like, sliced it. And then I just kept going. I was, like, doop bop 98 on algebra. And then went to morality. You killed another living creature created by God on the way to morality class. Yes, in which I would promptly go to sleep. Like, morality, I it was, I don't know what would this man, Mr. Melanson, I remember, his voice was just like, it was, it's this very deep voice that's, it has to be laced with some kind of like lidocaine or drug or something, I don't know. But like, without fail, I would fall asleep in his class. And so, like, I, I'm a good student. I try to stay in the front and do notes and stuff, but I just couldn't. So I started sitting in the back of that class and I would just like, just have these red patches on my face because I would just drool face first onto the table in his class, and I did well because mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty moral. I'd like to say I do my reading, um, but something about if that. If only position, morality was achieved through reading. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, my upbringing might have been involved, but it's probably just the reading, right? That's what it was. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I remember that position for some reason, like just being bent over on the table, uh, like the angle of it, I would just stand up and I would have these like ungodly, like, like demon zone burps. They just go for an hour because my body would just, yeah, I don't know. Not an hour. It was like, I literally went for like a 10 second burp one time because like, and I would just like rush out of the class because I was in the back and I just go in the hallway and I'd burp for like a full 10, 15 seconds. And it, it, I guess, like, the way I was bent for, like, say, an hour or whatever, however long classes, just the gas was stuck in my tum-tum. And then I just 
burped. It was weird. It was weird. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk. <laughs> We're ending on that. We are ending on that. <laughs> oh, God. When I moved out here, we all know the whole story of moved out here. I was going to get my pottery studio started, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of like hit the ground running. And then as I started to like work on setting things up, the world shut down and it was the end of time. Um, and so then I just kind of used it as an opportunity to be kind and gentle with myself. And, um, and I found that, Hey, you're a multimedia artist for a reason. So I was just working on other things. Um, not just to pass the time, but also to kind of practice my brain, I guess, um, practice the muscles in my, in my brain and keep them kind of functioning and working and keep the eye constantly working and finding different designs, um, in different mediums that kind of inspire, um, that have, that have inspired different designs that I could like I would have potentially put into some pottery. I'm in an experimentational phase. With that being said and and me accepting that, I'm not putting any high expectations on myself. So yeah, so I the other day I pulled out a bag of clay, probably like 10 pounds or so. Um but I rehydrated it. I, which is pretty much when your clay goes dry, you don't throw it away. You just like rehydrate it, put some water into that bad boy and keep it in a nicely airtight sealed bag until it's evenly moist all the way around. And then you go on and wedge it. Wedging is pretty much like kneading dough, but with clay. So that way you kind of homogenize all of the clay so it's all one moisture you don't want to have extra wet parts than kind of like stiff dry parts it just makes it hard to work with and you also don't you never want to have air pockets wait so this is like before you can even work with the clay you yeah you there's like a whole process you would sit there and wedge it for a good 15 20 minutes just like bam, 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 with your hands just like that sound effects and all and so, yeah, so you sit there and you pretty much like wedging it. It's like I said, it's kneading the dough, kneading the clay, sorry. Um, and you have to make sure you get all of the air pockets out. And then once it's all nice, one homogenous ball of, of clay, then you can get on to cutting your pieces, which reminds me, I should probably buy a scale if I want to be consistent. But you did like some pottery stuff before, like during the year, like you did the, the hands. Oh, well, I didn't. I made those last year. So what happened with those was I made those the end of literally a year ago. And I didn't have time to fire them. And I didn't have time to make more. So I had them shipped over over here. Half of them broke while shipping. That was expected. Wasn't totally mad about it. Um, And then I tested two glazes that I have that I purchased. And one of them is absolutely beautiful and just very consistent mm. and the other one <laughs> it's like a it's like a nice uh, turquoise color that one was not consistent whatsoever so i kind of want to do i want to make a few more pieces and test out and see why that one is not consistent because some of them were smooth some of them were bubbly like textured 
and others were half textured, half washed out. It was zero consistency in the texture and the visual um, and the color of that specific glaze. They're two different brands as well, so that's also another um, interesting comparison. I'm not mad at them. Right. I just want if like if it's gonna be a textured bubbly <laughs> I want effect, to be prepared for I it. want them all to be like that. I don't want some like this, some like that. You know? I have like probably like a total what was it like thirty total? Twenty mm-hmm. something total twenty seven or something like that. Um, total of them and they're just test ones and they're um Is that part of like the experimentation or is that like of what Your I'm going to do. Intro to hand building. That's intro. Well, that's not my intro to hand building. That's my, like, that was an experimentation of glaze. Um, that was also an experiment. Those specific bowls, I designed a 3D printed stamp. So I had one where it cuts out the shape of the trinket bowl. And then the other one stamped the, the design mm. in the bowl. So that way I don't have to sit there hand carving every single one over and over and over again which i think is awesome but i think if like for bulk and like time's sake it's just a more faster and efficient way to duplicate the same design that i have after a year of dabbling with different mediums which i have extremely enjoyed and will continue doing as well one project or one medium that I have been avoiding and really want to rekindle my relationship with is uh, pottery. I think that my next like big project is probably going to be experimentation with pottery and and getting back into the groove um, because I've been out of it for way 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 too long. Um, Last time I made something was probably a year ago. Um, and so it's going to be, it's going to be nice to just, uh, see what these hands can do. So I have a question. Yes. When it comes to pottery, are you inspired by a design that you've come up with and so create a pot or create pottery to go along with that design? Or do you create the pottery and then think, okay, what kind of design would fit this shape? Sometimes it's like this and sometimes it's like that. Not going to lie. Sometimes I have like a shape that I'm looking for and I would go for that and then I'll fill in the shape with the design that kind of forms with it. I think a lot of times that happens more unless unless I on the side design all of it from scratch. Um, that way the design and the shape and the form like everything is simultaneous. But even then, I guess, I guess in that sense, if I'm if I'm doing it all from scratch, um, if I'm designing it from the get go, a lot of times it would be the form, and then I would add in the design. If you notice, some of my pieces have uh, the Amaziri inspired, um, geometric inspired um, right. prints that I that I that I draw on there, that I paint on there, um, or even carve in there. And that whole series or that whole concept was actually inspired by my henna designs, which that's where those started. I started doing those designs with my henna. I was trying to find a, a voice or like a more Libyan-esque voice in my henna designs rather than mm. the typical floral. They're beautiful, but they're just not me kind of thing, right? 
the way I do my henna is every hand has its own personality. So no two hands look the same. And I always prefer someone telling me, giving me the reins and just being like, go with the flow because that way the design will be more natural because it will go with all the curve. Everybody's hands are curved differently. Everyone has imperfections, has beautiful like wrinkles or like, you know, like every hand has its own personality, even if it's two hands on the same person. I, I do feel like a lot of times I treat those designs in a similar way. And this is something that has, that's been hard for me, is letting go of the fact that I can freehand everything and letting go of the personal each um, mug, for example, or each whatever vessel is uniquely different. And by trying to design exact same patterns and then figuring out how to implement it onto different things so the whatever ceramic or pottery piece that i make that comes first and then i will think about how to design it majority of the time sometimes i do think of a design and i'm like "Ooh, that'd be really good on a thing so then i design something that will go good with that specific um design or even like color combinations Oof, i love like that's also the most difficult part though, trying to figure out the colors that I want. I ha I'll have the design out, I'll have the vessel made, everything's ready, right? And then now it boils down to colors. And sometimes I find it a little difficult to be more experimentational with different colors. I have a specific color palette that I, I'm constantly mixing and matching in. I love dark like teals, forest greens. I love, 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 love yellow. Um, a lot of my pieces I have in like in, in mugs and stuff, I have the accent color yellow on the inside of the mug. I think it's very nice, personal. It's very like, nice. a, like literally a bowl of sunshine, a bowl of happiness. It's just like, a bowl of sunshine. You know, it's just, it's, just, it's, like, it's a cup, of, it's a cup of sunshine. The three elements, are they intrinsically intertwined for you? So if you were to tweak one, would you then have to revisit the other two? Uh, sometimes, but it usually, usually with once you have the pot. So here, let's, we can kind of like walk a quick stroll through the process of the actual making. So you have your clay, you make your vessel, you make your piece, whatever. Um, and whether it's a mug, whether it's a coaster, whether it's a tile, whether it's a, it's a, a, a flower pot, a bowl, a plate, a figure, whatever, right? You make it and, um, you let it dry for a few days. It has to be bone dry. So that way when you put it into the kiln, which is the oven like, um, machine that you put pottery pieces in there and it fires at really extremely high temperatures um, that solidifies and, and vertifies your clay um, and it takes it from the clay like the squishy clay that's dried so it's, it's like a hard it's and when it's dried it's called greenware um, and it's a very fragile state at that point because it's just pretty much like sand particles packed in together right mm. um, and or um, earth particles packed in together and um, then you fire it and then it all kind of melts in together, creating 
that the bisque piece which is the piece right like before you 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 glaze it which is like painting um your pottery piece so that's a harder stronger piece to work with everything is kind of like melted into each other and then once you're there once you do the first firing and it's a bisque piece you can't do anything about it like you can't change it you can probably add it to something and you can create a masterpiece and like stick them together and 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 then with glaze and then kind of like fire it again but once it's created you can't go back in and for example like add a handle onto it right so yeah so once the piece is made the piece is made so that factor is solid then the colors and the design part maybe like if you change one maybe the design will change a little bit because the colors have their own personalities right they run a little different some of them are more opaque some of them are more translucent some of them are more transparent some of them melt more or move more when when they're fired so you have to treat each color with its as if it's its own entity so if you had this design in your head and you wanted to do one part of the design a specific color and then the other part a specific color with then you give and take i guess um depending on on how the the colors or the the glazes react to the fire I used to remember you sharing photos of your pottery with mm -hmm. the paint on before you put it in the kiln. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. used to tell you I'd always, always preferred the color before it went into the kiln. Oh, like a more matte. A more um, matte finish, there are matte, yeah. There, yeah, there are matte glazes, more velvety matte um, glazes. That That's their, their finish um, look. But um, some... Are they harder? Are they more difficult to control? No, actually, those are the the matte glazes are uh, um, for the most part a little bit more easier and forgiving to control because it doesn't have a, like a high gloss um, tendency. If I'm mm. not mistaken, I am. Um, yeah, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, they they sit where they are more um, because they don't have that high glossy tendency that will pull yeah. with gravity. Um, so it's so it's yeah. it's also easier to kind of see what kind of color you're going to end up with right because it's going to be very similar to the color that went in not always not oh, really? always yeah there are some so i know that there's this one brand that they have i know that there's one brand that they have a velvet um like a more matte kind of finish under glaze so if you do it just you paint it and then you leave it as is it's closer to the finish um product but if you um, top it with a with a, a coat of like overglaze the, a little bit more of a sheer kind of um look to it the shiny mm -hmm. look to it it will it will change dramatically there are some glazes out there where you put it on and it looks gray and then it comes out like vibrant blues vibrant oranges wow. like it just like it's like so it's very yeah it's 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 um you have to test a lot of the glazes to see what their finished piece is going to look like. Because, for example, the um, 
I did an experiment on these two color glazes. When they were painted, they were both uh, before I fired them, right? Um, when I just when I just painted them straight onto the pieces, they were like half a shade different in in color. Um, one was like a lighter gray, and one was just like a gray, right? And so when you put them next to each other, if your eyes, because I have also learned that like with different shades and different um, values of, of color, not everybody can see the difference when it's really, really close in color, right? Mm. So unless you're someone who really has an eye for seeing like an eighth of a difference, uh, an eighth of a shade difference between two colors, like you first take, you would think they're the same exact color. You fire them in. One of them was a... Um, the lighter one was a turquoise, like a vibrant blue turquoise color. And the other one was a, almost like a dark emerald, glossy emerald, um, stone kind of color. Right. So they were extremely, extremely different, um, outcome, but when they were glazed, they looked almost exactly alike. So, so you do have to test out the colors so you always have test tiles so you and on those test tiles um if it's um um like there's some that are that that react i guess um when your piece has texture so any raised areas on on the piece the glaze will kind of fall off and that will be like a lighter color than when there's like a dip in your piece if that makes sense yeah. Um, so they kind of react so that way your design is almost ejecting kind of like you see it it, it it brings more depth to the design versus some of them are very flat colors so even if you have um, even if you have the, the 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 like a very intricate design on there you slap that that paint on it the the glaze on it and um, you fire it it looks very flat because it's the the properties of that glaze the nature of that glaze is not very forgiving in a sense of of kind of allowing your design to pop through so you always have to test all of your colors before actually using them on your pieces and i personally like to have um test styles that have like half of it with an intricate like um design that is carved out and then the other half just a smooth surface so that way you can see how that color reacts to those two um the the two different texture of 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 pottery and so you have to so and and then you have to trust those test styles so um you'll you'll kind of get a hang of things and in, in, in knowing how um how the end result will look like when you have that you know evidence there for you so you're slapping on this this murky dark like ghoul lagoon green and it comes out this vibrant red or whatever um mm. so you just you just you trust in the trust process the process right just keep going um, just keep swimming and then <laughs> this is fine this is then, totally fine yeah and it's it's so it's there's a lot of science and chemistry that goes into it and um and then there is this uh this also trust in the process but also the art of letting go um, or the concept of like wabi sabi, the art of, of perfect imperfections and stuff. Mm. And um, like once you put the lid down on the kiln, um, you close that 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 kiln up, and yeah, it's literally like 
whatever happens happens if sometimes they can fall sometimes you put too much glaze on one side so it 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 drags down the side more or it'll stick to the bottom of the kiln or um it or it it explodes like if you um if there's like a hairline crack in your piece that you physically impossible for you to even like see um when you're when it was was um when it was fired or when you glazed it or whatever like it wasn't there like you you, you didn't see it and then the kiln kind of with the pressure of the glaze sealing everything there's the even with a hairline there's still like some air within that hairline and so it will sometimes it'll explode sometimes it'll explain and you just have like this big crack that's going down um, the side of your piece and um, so there's a lot that can happen in the kiln once it's firing um, so you just have to be okay with mess ups you have to be okay with um, you know like things happen and it it definitely um, teaches you patience and it teaches you um, happy accidents as well because a lot of times you learn from your mistakes and you learn from things that go wrong and uh, Bob um, Ross and and you know happy, I, happy little trees you know but but it's 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 true though you know it's it's um you 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 grow more so that's one thing why I absolutely love pottery is that no one can be the absolute like full master of pottery there's always room for you to grow in there there's always like <laughs> different things because that it's... can go wrong it's, because it's yeah, such it's, an untamed beast. Yeah, it's a very organic um, um, science to it. It's just so it's it's uh, it's just quite quite awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know. So here I am, you know, husband of the year, coming over to Atlanta. You weren't a husband yet. Here I am. Fiance of the year. Ahmed of the year. Suck it, other Ahmeds. And I went to Atlanta <laughs> to visit Wissal, and I threw a piece of pottery. She taught me. And Side note, throwing pottery means you put it on the pottery wheel, and you make a piece of pottery on the wheel, not actually taking pottery and throwing it on the wall. Continue. Wow. I have my own translator. I did not know that you had to latch on to the wheel for dear life. You know, you have to have like extreme core. Like, is there's a lot of movement and a lot of like strain, and it's very difficult. It's like yoga, but for pottery. Yeah, I can throw we saw, but I can't throw a pot. You know, mm -hmm. it's very difficult. Well, I can throw a pot, and I cannot throw a hand. Mm -hmm. Actually, I feel like if I'm back into pottery, if I if they're like throwing pottery, I'll I'll regain my core muscles and um and be able to throw a hand. You know what drives me crazy, we saw? What drives you crazy? Crazing! Wow, that's so crazy! That drives me crazy, too! Whenever I look at a piece and the glaze actually chips away after long usage, I have no idea how that happens or that why that happens. It away, it just sits there and it cracks and it just doesn't look perfect anymore. What? what? Can you talk about that? Is that's that a problem you have? Crazy. 
I, on the occasion, have that problem, but I think I almost have it solved, but also at the same time... You can I talk human now, because <laughs> this is actually usable material. What? Dear listeners, you will never appreciate how smooth that transition was. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, so crazing is when the glaze, um, which is the, the, the painted part, of the pottery um starts to crack so the pottery piece itself is not cracking it's just like the outer layer glazed part that's cracking and um it's not the end of the world but aesthetically i hate it um does it like affect like the structure of the piece at all or if it has a high absorption rate then um it's pretty much it can just like sit there collecting and absorbing your your water or whatever you yeah so that's like if you're using like the like a lower fire um clay body so what causes it is it just like okay bad glaze or is it no no so i mean sometimes it can be bad glaze but for the most part it means that the clay body and the glaze that you're using are not in sync so then in order to the harmony must be struck 100 percent when you paint your pottery piece and put it in the kiln it's pretty much melting glass Right, that's like the equivalent of melting glass. So, imagine you're taking a a liquid and then turning it into a solid. Like when the the paint dries and you put it in there, it just melts and it goes back into liquid form. But the liquid form is molten, freaking glass. It's quite amazing because if you ever look into a kiln, everything's glowing. Or if you have the kiln on and um you turn all the lights off it's just like a glowing beautiful masterpiece it's beautiful but yeah so it's just everything's just molten and then when it starts to cool just like glass it'll harden all over again there's two kinds of crazing right there's immediate crazing and then there's delayed crazing i have and sometimes i have an issue with certain glazes with immediate crazing um and sometimes delayed crazing so it depends and so that's what I'm trying to figure out now is which one is it. Because immediate crazing is when your your glaze, like the painted part of your piece, does not fit the um, ceramic body or the clay body or the pottery piece that you made. Because both of them shrink um, when fired. So when it's like heated into the kiln, they both shrink. And they have to shrink at the same speed. Crazing. What is crazing? Crazing is small little fine cracks that happen in the glaze. Um, glaze is the, the paint or the colors that you use to, to paint your um, pottery piece and you fire and it becomes either shiny or hard or whatever. Um, and... Um, the crazing happens when there are two reasons why it could happen. One is that your glaze does not fit your clay body, meaning they shrink at different times. So when you put uh, your pottery into the kiln, it's at one size. And then as it's fired, as it's heated and fired in the kiln, it'll shrink down to its vertified size, right? And so if your glaze doesn't have the same shrinking rate, I guess, um, as the clay body, then it's not fitting the clay body 
correctly and clay body is your like your finished piece your your body of clay that you have created right and so the way to fix that is trial and error and making sure that um the glaze that you're using coexists and is in sync with the, the clay that you're using and then the second one is like a delayed kind of crazing like little fine cracks in the in the glaze and that one happens if somehow you get moisture inside of your piece and it will just continue to crack and that will create a uh, crazing effect where it absorbs so when you have something that absorbs moisture what's it gonna do it's gonna expand so when it expands it's gonna crack is it always a bad thing it's not always a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when you're using a clay body that's not the most food safe. Um, so, and what makes it food safe is if it's porous or if it's not. Um, or that's like one of the reasons why it would well, it would make it food safe. Um, so, if it's porous or if it if it has high absorption, then it'll just absorb anything and everything. And washing that out is not really ideal, especially when you have you know, your, your glaze on top of it and like they're really teeny, teeny, tiny cracks. And I'm guessing it would also devalue the, the piece, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's like when it's like really not a good thing. And then even if you are using, um, if you are using a food safe clay body, then it's, if you're like, if your design is very precise and very, you know, detail oriented and then you just have these random cracks that are not intentional, then, um, then it's a bad thing for you too because it's just it can be beautiful and there are glazes out there that are like intentional for the the the, the crackling and the, and the of the glaze and, and creating a crazed look but if it's not used intentionally it can be extremely frustrating when it comes to like trial and error do you literally put in multiple pieces of clay to see well this thickness or this amount of glazing or oh, this yeah. level of glazing mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a, it's a lengthy process, right? It is. It is a lengthy process. Um, it's just like when you're trying out glazes, um, you, you do test tiles. So with this, you'll do, especially if you are, you've been making pieces and every now and then you get a crazing, um, quote unquote, like almost like a defect here and there, um, then you'll start to make intentional like pieces, or at least for me, myself and I, I would just do like a practice run. It would be utter garbage <laughs> it doesn't have to be yeah. you know just like oh like this like really lumpy mug and just put some sort of color on it and then see what it is so one thing that i had issues with in the past was i was not allowed to change the cone firing maybe i need to go up maybe i need to go um, lower and i just didn't have the free range to experiment so sometimes so that's kind of where i'm going have you learned any tricks to kind of speed up the process? No. Sometimes you just can't speed up a pro you can't speed up a process. You just you go down the list of things that that might be a problem and it's uh, an art that teaches you patience. But once you get the the right ratio or formula for a specific piece, yeah. you can repeat it without having to test it again, right? Oh, yeah. You just know, okay, I need to do this, I need to do yeah. that, and yeah. that's it. Yeah, because it okay. is because with pottery it is absolutely a science so even with people who mix their own glazes like you write down and you you measure it by the scale you put in like different minerals and, and it's to get a specific shade of color right it's like right down to the the ounce of material 
So yeah, so it's uh, mm, it's a very mm, scientific mm. kind of um, art, but also at the same time very open for expansion. It's like okay, well if you do, if you put like a little bit more this time, um, and it come it can turn your entire color differently, for example, or it can if you like go up just like a few more degrees in your firing, you can melt everything like it just it's so it has like a perfect science to it but sometimes you can use that perfect science and in, in your mistakes to create different effects and stuff so without fail the normal person will skip updates they will just not do updates because it's like oh i don't have time Every yeah time I, I have so many friends who do that right so like if we saw we saw even does that right like i'll open her computer and be like you haven't updated your chrome in in three months or you haven't updated your laptop in three months and so i'll just jump on and like you can go to these publicly available websites because security people publish it they're like hey this is a problem and like that helps companies and different like developers mm. block those problems or fix their issues and right. so they publish it. So I just like go on, look at the published, you know, issues. It's like, okay, here's this one. Oh, okay, we got this issue with Linux, this version. Okay, let's see. Do I have any computers on that are using this net version of, of Linux? Oh, okay. Well, it looks like uh, so-and-so hasn't updated. Then uh, I'm in, you know, through the vulnerability that they've just like opened up and showed you. The problem is like many fold. It's like first discovering that there is a problem, second communicating out that problem, and then third having people actually work to update and and like meet that need. But whereas it's always it's kind of like the you have to as a as a for security you have to be able to block against anything as a like offense or as like an attacker you only need to find one way in and then you're you kind of like have succeeded so it, it's it's really interesting it fascinates me as to why people don't update when the update literally says security patches right exactly i've never seen that before what i li literally the last update i did for you was a cumulative windows security update i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> it has like a big orange thing it's like hey please help me i'm dying it didn't do that okay <laughs> So we had a question from one of our listeners to the effect of, is it really important to have a culture? More specifically, a culture that is portrayed by other people? Personally, I've, I've taken from my Libyan uh, culture, but I've also taken from my British culture. The elements which I like from my Libyan, I've taken and I've left what I don't agree with. And I've taken from the British culture what I like from that combine the two to form what is i guess a third culture right so i don't i think it's inescapable this whole idea of of, of having a culture because we are all products of our environment so no matter which environment we're in we are going to develop a culture it may not be the quote-unquote mainstream culture we may have a subculture but we will have a culture Right. No, and I think that makes sense. And to a certain extent, it, like you said, it is inescapable. But at the same time, I think the sentiment of wanting to escape it is it's it's kind of like saying, you know, we don't need to we don't need to. There's nothing that we can learn from or take from 
like the past, right? So say you just want to throw away tradition and culture altogether, like that's fine. But I think ultimately what you're what you're bas- what you're saying is I want to learn everything again, which is counter to the entire human kind of experience. You know, like mm. we went from cavemen to where we are today because we learned from you know precedent. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about it on the show. Sometimes that's like not a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. We have certain rules that exist because, you know, people did it and we didn't really ask why. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. also part of what we're doing. We're asking why about culture. But learning from that culture and that tradition and and taking those lessons and imbuing them in your life, like you're saying, picking from Libyan, picking from UK culture, I, I think that's where the importance is. Like you said, the culture has a tie to the history. And um, how would you know the history of a place if it didn't, if you, like, if people just started dropping culture? And I think it's a way to bring people together and to kind of, you know, like, help bond them. So it could be you start your own culture, but in the end of the day, like, the culture is still there. I feel, you know, the culture with a capital C yeah, is is always going to be problematic because it does pressure you into aligning your own set of beliefs and your own identity with that of everybody else or, mm-hmm. you know, the mainstream sort of culture. So, it's, yeah, it's always going, going to be problematic, which is why I said we had the privilege of being able to kind of yeah, pick and choose and because... Choose, yeah. We were never really part of the Libyan culture because we didn't grow up there and we never were fully wherever we grew up. So we were Mm -hmm. sort of, I'm Libyan, but I'm also, insert other country here. Whereas if you were born and raised in the UK or born and raised in Libya or because even in the Western world, they fall prey to, you know, quote unquote, the culture whereby it dictates certain requirements or certain or expectations from you and I feel it is a bad thing when you are limited to just one culture mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of mixing right which is why I, I will never understand bigots no matter where they come from whether they're from the eastern world the western yeah. world or wherever I will never understand bigots because the, the the true beauty of mixing is that you get to see a better way to live your life you will say that you hate the culture, but there's no reality where you hate everything wholesale. Yeah, 100%. Because I used to say that, and I used to, like, like for example, our wedding, right? We had, like, the cultural, uh, the traditional events. And I, for the longest time, I would just say that I don't want to do the cultural stuff because X, Y, Z, and I don't like the culture, or I just, like, was, like, really anti-Libyan for a long time. Then I realized there are bits and pieces of the culture that I liked, that I thought was in the traditions that I liked, um, that I thought, you know, I'm going to keep these traditions. And I remember having a conversation with one of my relatives in Libya, and they're like, are you just going to pick and choose? You can't just pick and choose. Um, you have to do the event, right? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. It. You know, and I was like, you know what? I, but, but, but I am. Just, just watch, watch me. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll post our topics on our Twitter and Instagram, both Third Culture Block with a three. This is Ahmed Mustafa, Wissal Jibril, and Mohammed Ismail.